I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome in, it's Made for March here on this holiday week. Tyler Rocky and Tim Leonard. Hope everyone that celebrated had a great Christmas and hope everyone listening now has a happy new year as we inch closer and closer into 2021. I can't believe it, Tim. Finally. It felt like just yesterday we were doing recruiting redos and, and trying to figure out uh, when is college basketball going to get back going. But here we are. You can check out the show on Twitter at Made the Number Four March and be sure to subscribe. Rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we've got a ton to get to on today's show. Gonzaga continues to run through the gauntlet. I can't believe that we are talking about a Gonzaga team that just continues to steamroll. And then, of course, the Big Ten out for carnage. So we have to break down everything that's going on in the B1G. And we'll also do our one and dones, just some other odd ends and notes of college basketball. Let's just start with Gonzaga because... This team is something that I have not seen out of anyone over the past, what, decade, 20 years? I mean, they look unstoppable right now. They go out, they beat Virginia by over 20 points, and you just look at the title odds on Bovada Sportsbook, and they drop by the day. I mean, they're down to plus 300, and you know what's funny is, remember when that Duke team got down to, like, even odds or, like, plus 100? But they did that what probably in in ACC play is eventually when that those numbers started to drop to that number and Gonzaga I mean we haven't even hit 2021 yet and they're already at a plus 300 I don't think they could be any more impressive than the way they started the season it's really a joke how they're just rolling through this tough schedule as you said to a casual college basketball fan and that's the shame of this some people that are just sort of out of touch and know the Blue Bloods and don't really follow the sport as closely as maybe you or I or our listeners do, they might just think, oh, this is going to be one of those years where if, if Gonzaga wins, does it really count? Like, it's a COVID year and weird stuff is happening. It counts. Yeah, it, it 1, counts. 1,000% counts. And that whole crowd just has to really kind of educate themselves, honestly. I feel like I'm Stephen A. Smith or something preaching here, but it's, it's the truth of it. Like, this Gonzaga team is playing better than Blue Bloods have been playing in recent years. This is like that Kentucky team from 2015. I was trying to remember who the Kentucky team was. I went back and looked it up, but we were talking about it on our last podcast, and it was 2015. So I I confirmed that, that they did go pretty far undefeated. And now that's the question around Gonzaga, and it's a legit question that we brought up last week, and I feel like everyone's kind of hopping on it this week after the Virginia game is, can they go undefeated? What are the odds they run the table? And... It's better than a lot of teams' odds have been in recent years at this point in the season, for sure. So right now, Ken Palm projects them at a 44% chance of going unbeaten. 44%, and you still got an entire conference slate that you haven't even begun yet. Virginia was really one of the last big hurdles for them, and they go out and they win 98-75. to What's amazing to me is the offense. I mean, it's unlike anything we've seen. The, the efficiency number one in Ken Palm and... I mean, they're not doing it against slouches. You open the season by dropping 100 on Kansas, who both you and I think is one of the most talented defensive teams in the country. You you go out, take care of business against West Virginia while you're missing your best player, one of your best players. I mean, 
you could throw out there. I mean, this is those Villanova teams on steroids. Remember how with those Villanova teams, we had no idea who the best player. You could have a giant barbershop debate over who that best player was on those Nova teams from a couple years ago. And this is just that on steroids right now. And you take care of business against West Virginia. You throttle Iowa, put up almost 100 in that game. And then against Virginia, a team that is a top 10 defense and one of the historically great defensive teams that we've seen because of the system that it plays, not necessarily the personnel. Of course, personnel plays a role in it, but the system that they play is unbelievable. They're a top 10 defense, and you go out and you drop almost 100 on them too. It's just time after time again, and they're not doing it in Gonzaga. They're doing all of these on neutral floors too. I think all of this is just so impressive. It really is. 98 points against Virginia I'd have to look it up, but that has not happened in a long time. And they did 44 in each half. I mean, it's it's pretty common that Virginia holds teams to 44 points throughout the course of an entire 40-minute game. They rattled off 44 in the first half, 44 in the second half. Kispert just went bonkers in this game, nine threes. And you can see that he's starting to get some NBA draft hype because... I mean, let's face it, I'd be interested in drafting him if I was a GM. He can shoot, and he's 6'7", and can guard multiple positions. Maybe not quite as athletic as some other guys that will be in the lottery conversation or around the fringe lottery, but there's a lot to like in his game. And you're right, it doesn't really matter who the guy is. It's just someone is going to step up. In this game, Timmy also had 29. I mean, they had two guys that scored 29 or more points against Virginia. It's Usually you get maybe 25 and a half against Virginia. We're used to seeing Virginia make noise for holding teams under 20 points. Now, I don't think Virginia's very good, and I think they did get a little bit exposed in this game. Now, they've been dealing with some pauses as well, and like every other team, I feel like. But Gonzaga comes off a pause and just routed Iowa. So it just feels like they're invincible at this point. And I don't really know if they're going to go undefeated. I... 44% still seems high to me because I feel like it's college basketball and you can get tripped up in conference play. And it's it's one thing to do it against a Virginia team when kind of all the lights are on, but they're going to have a lot of quote-unquote trap games in their league. But, I mean, they couldn't be more impressive through this first stretch of games. And I don't know if we've seen a more impressive non-conference run really in, in like, 20 years or something. I mean, you'd have to really jog your memory for – teams that have been at the tippy top of the sport. To me, they are head and shoulders above everyone else, and that includes Baylor. So I'm looking through the top 10 teams of Ken Palm right now. There are three team or four teams, rather, along with Gonzaga, if, if you include Gonzaga into this conversation, that have undefeated records right now. So I just gave a quick glance at the percent chance each of them have to go undefeated the rest of the way, all right? I'm going to throw the name out there. You're going to tell me what the percent chance is, okay? Okay. Let's start with Baylor. Baylor's probably pretty low, just because of the Big 12, maybe like 11% or something. 1.4%. Houston, 7-0. Houston is probably the highest of the teams. I'd still say it it can't top more. I mean, if if Baylor's 1%, it can't top 8%. I'll say 6. 3.4. Yeah. Tennessee. Uh, 2%. 6-0 right now. 0.09% is the chance. So They're 44. Gosh, that's crazy. As you can see, Gonzaga, what they're doing right now, and again, part of it is the the product of the fact of the conference that they play, but they have tested themselves early. I mean, 
when you look at the end of the season and the the strength of schedule, it's going to be neck and neck with especially some of these teams in the SEC and even to a degree the Big 12 because they've played a number of Big 12 teams. The strength of schedule is going to be right there. Yeah, this team is legit, and you really can't say it any other way. Uh, on the topic of Virginia, how worried are you about them? Because I think, I mean, we can get into it in the one and dones. That's one of my talking points there. But the ACC, to me, I, it's hard for me to find title contenders right now in the ACC. And I think I texted you that, and you jokingly said, it's hard for me to find a title contender anywhere outside of the West Coast Conference right now, which... It is. Like, that's, like that's what it is right now. It, it feels like Gonzaga versus the field. And if, if you gave me that bet, I, I don't think it's up on Bavada right now, but I'm sure it might be at some point. Gonzaga versus the field. Usually I love the field. You're literally giving me 350 plus teams in a single elimination tournament. But it would be very, very hard for me to take the field this year. Yeah, it's like Tiger Woods in his prime or something when the. Like, it doesn't make sense. All the stats and odds around the sport say that you should take the field because it's college basketball. It's a single elimination tournament. All the things you just laid out, I still, I mean, there's a world where Gonzaga doesn't win, and there's also a world where someone gets hurt, unfortunately, or they get into the NCAA tournament and there's a COVID pause or something, and they're just not clicking like they are right now. There's a lot of basketball, a lot of things to unfold, but I don't think you could have a bigger front runner right now in like college basketball recent memory, especially given the nature of this year and the fact that it doesn't really feel like a team should be able to separate themselves the way that Gonzaga has. And perhaps we're sleeping on Baylor because they just haven't been. Baylor has been out of mind recently. They haven't played anyone of note. They had the COVID pause. I just have I feel like I haven't watched them on my TV in maybe three weeks at this point. And Tennessee kind of had that at the start of the year. We talk all of this stuff about how it's Gonzaga and then there's a a giant gap and then the rest of the field. And we say the same thing about Iowa and the player of the year race with Luca Garza. And we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I want to go a little deeper into it here. In your eyes, again, last week we did the what's more likely, Gonzaga doesn't win the title or Garza doesn't win the National Player of the Year. I want to do it a little differently here. Who has the bigger gap? Is it Gonzaga to who the number two team is in Baylor? I guess I don't think you could say it's anyone else right now. Or is it Garza and whoever you would say is number two in your Player of the Year standings? I would say it's it's still more... So you're saying right now in terms of one to two or who's going to win yeah, the, the gap between title? one and two, the gap between one and two as it stands right now. Yes. Is the, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, they're both pretty sizable. I would say Baylor to Gonzaga is closer than the national player of the year gap. I really can't see Luca Garza not winning the national player of the year because Gonzaga, like you said, they're, they're Villanova of recent years where, Jalen Suggs would be the front runner to me, but he has eight points in this last game. And Kispert goes off for 32, Timmy 29. So no one is going to be head and shoulders above the rest of the guys on that Gonzaga team that it would have to come from Gonzaga. That's the only case is that Gonzaga runs the table and, you know, depending on what type of player of the year award it is and when they give it out, they have that strong of a case and maybe something funky happens with Luca Garza a little bit and Iowa really struggles in Big Ten play, which they've already lost a couple, but that's just the Big Ten, which we'll get into. So I, I still think Baylor 
has been ultra impressive as well. And if you're a Baylor fan listening to this podcast right now, you're probably thinking, how, like, what more could we be doing to prove that Gonzaga is right up there with us? And it's a shame we didn't get to see that game. My thinking is, if we saw that game, though, Gonzaga would have won by 15 like every other game they played this year. And that would have probably been pretty disappointing for the rest of the college basketball season if you saw them go out and post a number like that. And I'm just thinking here why it might be the player of the year standings between one and two. I mean, no one is coming close with Gonzaga. Like, we've seen Iowa lose and we've seen Garza look good in some of those games, but player of the year goes to a team that, that it's usually a guy on a team that does a lot of winning. And don't get me wrong, Iowa's going to do a lot of winning, but... At the same time, we could also see them trip up a little in Big Ten play. Yeah. And I start looking, like, obviously Garza's far and away the number one on the player of the year standings. But I look at some of these other, even, it's just shocking to me that Gonzaga doesn't have a guy who's one or two right now in the player of the year. Like, that's how good of a team they are. When you look at Kispert, you look at Drew Timmy, you look at Jalen Suggs, and Jalen Suggs is entering that conversation now to be the number one overall pick. And I'm I'm just looking at, I feel like one of the Gonzaga guys is definitely going to creep their way into the number two portion. It's probably at Suggs point, right now, but it's I, probably Suggs, but like you could say the same about Timmy. You could say the same about exactly. Kispert. I mean, there's so many guys on that team. And then you've got your glue guys like a Joel Ayayi and Andrew Nemhard goes out and gives them quality minutes too. It's just guy after guy after guy is so effective on that team. And, I mean, even you look in, in the Big Ten, I mean, they've got a number of guys who you could say are competing for that player of the year, whether it's Io DeSumo, because to me, he's looked like the best closer in college basketball right now in terms of guy you want on your team in the final two minutes of a game. Trace Jackson Davis is kind of Luca Garza light right now. And then, I mean, Marcus Carr, what he's done in Minnesota yeah. is phenomenal. Ron Harper Jr. <laughs> yeah, Ron Harper Jr. It's all of these guys are, are just playing phenomenal basketball right now in the Big Ten. It's going to be fun to watch them. But I'm going to go slightly, slightly. The gap is a little bit smaller between Luka, and I'm going to say Io DeSumo right now for the number two in the player of the year. Yeah, I just think DeSumo falls into the category of, it's tough because the only reason I see Garza losing is if Gonzaga just goes nuts and someone steps up. But like I said, I don't know who steps up, and Illinois would have to be really playing a lot better than I mean they've looked fine I think that they've looked like a, a good solid team so far we talked about them a lot I just they would have to bunt themselves into a different category to get DeSumo into that different category of being in the conversation of player of the year right now he's been exceptional but when you're comparing him to Garza Garza's numbers are like unlike anything we've seen in college basketball no absolutely ever. I mean he's yeah. obviously the front like when I say there's there's right. a gap, like there's Garza, then there's like 30 feet of shit, and then there's Desumu. Whereas Gonzaga, it's like them, and then there's like 50 feet of shit, and then there's yeah. Baylor. Like it's at the end of the day, the the gap is not that big. How how many feet is there between the Big Ten and the Big Twelve and best conference in America for you right now? I mean, <laughs> to me, it's not even close. I, let's get into the Big Ten right yeah. now because. When you look at this conference, I mean, night after night, there, there's some sort of carnage, some sort of upset. We're, we're recording this on a Tuesday morning. We saw last night, we saw Wisconsin go down to Maryland. We saw Minnesota get a big win at the barn against Michigan State. I mean, it's just time after time 
with this conference and and we see it and they just go out and they beat each other up. It's the old cliche and Northwestern has emerged out of nowhere. They're atop the the Big 10 standings right now at 3 and 0 with three impressive wins I might add. I mean, Michigan yeah. State, Indiana, and then they, they pull off uh, the win against Ohio State, too. And I think the ultimate sign of respect for Northwestern was not only did they move into the rankings after beating Ohio State, but Ohio State dropped from 23 to 25. The The voters saw that as being almost a quality loss to the point where we're, we're okay not bumping Ohio State out of the top 25. I thought that was the ultimate sign of respect for Northwestern. Yeah, you can't get to 3-0 and in the Big Ten without picking up at least a couple quality wins. Outside of Nebraska, every game is tough. And I know Penn State's probably not a tournament team, but even they beat Virginia Tech, who's currently ranked at the moment, and beat them handedly in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So what Northwestern's done has been very impressive. They were picked to finish last in the league. Here they are at the top of the standings, and Michigan State is somehow 0-3. But if I'm Comparing those two and trying to actually make some takeaways at this point, Michigan State being bad is a legit takeaway for me, especially the way they just got routed by Minnesota the other night. And, and how about we're... on Christmas, too, against uh, Wisconsin? Yeah, and Wisconsin, I think, is is probably the, the safest bet to be the best team. I know they just lost the other night, too, at home as well, but that's just the, the nature of the league. You can't really overreact to one game or one loss here or there because it is such a tough conference in such a tough league night in and night out northwestern being good though i still don't really see it are they a tournament team perhaps i just and i know you can do this with every team but i look at their upcoming games and their next five games it's iowa on the road michigan on the road illinois at home ohio state on the road iowa at home they're probably going to go zero and five in that stretch and if they go one and four that's a win I'd say, and that puts them at four and four and on pace to be right in the thick of the tournament discussion. I'm very excited to see the trajectory of Michigan because, like you said, sure, there's not a lot of easy paths in the Big Ten, but so far, Penn State is who they opened up with, then they go on the road and face Nebraska. They win that game by double digits. Now you've got Maryland on New Year's Eve, and then once you get into January, you face Northwestern at home, you're at home against Minnesota, then you travel to Penn State, home against Wisconsin, and then travel to Minnesota. So I think we're going to start to see the the real Michigan. And I'm excited to see what Michigan brings because Hunter Dickinson's been one of the most impressive freshmen, not just in the conference, but in the entire country. And when you look at this conference night in and night out, I mean, it, it's a lot of fun. And I think Michigan's one of those teams that just quietly is taking care of business. Obviously, they're not going to go undefeated. I didn't even rattle off their their Ken Palm undefeated chances because I'd, I'd guess it's like yeah. a .01. <laughs> but they're one of those teams that is just steady. And I think we talk about safe bets. Listen, Michigan may not win the Big Ten, but I think they're about as sure of a play to get into that, the, be one of the final four teams standing in the Big Ten, in the Big Ten tournament. So let's play uh, re- remodeling our woodens that we did at the start of the year and we don't have to do every single team but just in terms of the big 10 lens at this point because going into the year my thought process on the big 10 was there's a lot of really good teams i don't know if there's a ton of title contenders so i want to kind of evaluate how many title contenders how many teams are there in the conference right now that we could legit see winning the title i'll go through the bavada odds 
and sort of rank them right now. You got Iowa in the Big Ten plus 900. That's the third best odds in, on Bavada in the country. Illinois is plus 1,300. Wisconsin is plus 1,300. I'd say, are you confident in saying all three of those are still potential title contenders, or is Wisconsin not there for you? No, all three are definitely title contenders, yes. Yeah. And I think also just the rest of the country has lost some title contenders in my mind. The Big 12 has plenty, and the, the Big ACC, 12... The ACC, yeah. I mean... Like you said earlier, it's tough to listen. It is tough to find anyone outside the West Coast Conference right now. But the the ACC, it's tough to find anyone. Yeah, and then Michigan State still plus twenty two hundred on here. I feel like that's probably namesake a little bit. Then you kind of drop down. Ohio State plus forty five hundred. Michigan plus forty five hundred. Trying to see if I'm missing any other teams here as I look up Bavada. Rutgers probably is somewhere in that ballpark, I would imagine. Yeah, but Rutgers, I, I'm seeing Rutgers at 55 to one, and then you've got Indiana at 40 to one. I'll tell you this: out of all the teams you listed in terms of value, Rutgers is the play because they are, are a stellar team defensively in a league that values defense. They're gonna pick off some wins against an Iowa, against an Illinois, some teams that don't play a ton of great defense. And, I mean, the value's there on a team like Rutgers right now. The only thing with the Rutgers is the injury problems that have kind of arisen. Right, with Jacob Young, yeah. And and you hope that some of those... Yeah, and you hope that some of those things sort themselves out. And and by the time everything's going in the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament, that they're going to have a a fully loaded roster. But when they're clicking, I mean, they can go toe-to-toe with any team in the Big Ten. Yeah, I would say, and the, the other thing with the Rutgers, I said the only thing. The second thing is, it's Rutgers. And I don't mean that, like, we know that it's this like, is not. It's the same the, thing as, like, it's the Browns. The, yeah, like, this it, is, right. Like, sure, they're enjoying a little success this year, but they're going to, are they going to find a way to Browns themselves? Are they going to find a way to Rutgers themselves? It's just, I mean, I'll tell you this. If Rutgers wins the national title, then the casual college fans are really going to have a field day on the this is an asterisk season and don't count it because it's it's really hard for me, as much as I like Rutgers as a team, to close my eyes and visualize a team that has not been to the NCAA tournament. Granted, they would have gone last year, but I think it's since 1991 or something outrageous like that, and they're just going to go in and, and win it. I mean... Crazier things have happened, probably, I'm sure, but they're, I don't think you can put them in the title contender conversation just because they haven't really been there as a program recently. And that was kind of my whole theory on Iowa when we were going into the season and why I didn't have them in my woodens. I would say they're definitely a title contender this year just because of how, what they're doing on offense. So, But honestly, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, I think Michigan you have to put in there. Is Ohio State a wooden for you right now? Not a wooden, no. Yeah. And listen, they, their quest to to be the number one in the net may have been stalwarted by yeah. Northwestern. When's the net and coming out? Here's the thing. That's, that's what I'm starting to think is, are they going to hold out on releasing the net rankings until they can finally put Ohio State at number one? I, I'm starting to dig into some conspiracies here. I'm starting to have thoughts, Tim. And I think this is where we are headed, that the the net committee is just going to hold out. They can claim pandemic this year, and they're just going to hold out until they can put Ohio State number one. Perhaps. I mean, there's only, it would have been out by now in a normal year, right? Am I not crazy yeah. about that? It's usually like back, it's usually out around 
a little after the Big Ten ACC Challenge, I believe. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think the Big Ten definitely has more title contenders right now. The weird thing is the Big Ten, the more impressive part about it is that I could definitely see 10 of the 14 in the tournament. And at this point, it's almost a given. Like It's weird to say that. And it's risky to say that given the nature of this season and how quickly things can probably turn on a dime for a lot of these teams. But, I mean, Northwestern's still a question mark. Will they make the tournament? Penn State's probably not making it. Nebraska's definitely not making it. Outside of that, a lot of teams are definitely in Joe Lenardi's bracketology at this point. I, I, it's just hard to really see any less than 10, definitely nothing less than 9 out of this league. And... When you compare it to the Big 12, the Big 12 might actually have more woodens or more title contenders because, I mean, they, they've got Texas, they have Kansas, who has still looked really good and has kind of proven that they're still the cream of the crop there. They obviously have Baylor, West Virginia, Texas Tech has still looked solid. So I don't know if all of those are title contenders, but you can make a case that on any given night, those are some of the best teams in the country. And the Big Ten's top versus the Big 12 top would be an intriguing matchup if they did a challenge. But where they'd really separate would be the the depth in the conference. Like, even some of those teams at the bottom, Northwestern, would just run all over Iowa State or a team like that. I mean, you look at the Ken Palm standings, too, and you've got eight teams in the top 30 right now. Like, this conference is just, it's clicking right now. Everything is going well for them. And even some of the teams that maybe you weren't looked upon very highly Ken Palm was I mean here perfect example Illinois all right and you can have your gripes about Illinois they don't play defense they they have three losses whatever they've lost to three very good teams so far this season and this was a team that not too long ago right after that Baylor loss at the beginning of this month of December they were 24th in Ken Palm they've elevated all the way to sixth (laughs) and I think a lot of that is because of the respect that the Big Ten is getting as a conference I mean you look at in Ken Palm Your team's four, five, and six. You've got Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois. And to me, those are three of the top seven teams in the country right now. I mean, I I don't see a lot of teams that that are better in them, at least from a a top seven lens. And I do think it goes back to my original point that I've made a ton on this podcast, kind of going into the season and in the early weeks here of the continuity thing and just how this year is is really exposing some of those blue blood teams that are bringing in a lot of freshmen and asking them to acclimate very quickly. The Big Ten has less of that. Now, the Big Ten still has a lot of good freshmen, and I'm not saying it's like a complete drastic difference in the ACC or the SEC or some of these other conferences, but this does feel like the, the stars did sort of align for the Big Ten to just take that leap even more and establish themselves as the best conference in America because – The way you watch the Big Ten night in and night out, it's less about the pure talent, but more about those guys that have been there for a while. It's figures that we've seen in college basketball for a while. Luka Garza-type guys. Even Trace Jackson Davis, he's only a sophomore. He's probably more of an NBA talent-type player. But all these Big Ten players, we kind of know their tendencies by now because we've been watching them for a while. Marcus Carr falls into that category. Ron Harper, who's is getting some NBA love. I'm not saying they're not talented. It's just a difference in how they go about making their team successful. Well, just and look at the you... minutes continuity. That's the yeah. statistic we love, right? I mean, I'm going to take the those four, five, six that I mentioned. Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois. Wisconsin, 14th. Iowa, 40th. Illinois, 39th. 
When you're bringing yeah. back all that experience in this pandemic strange season, of course you're going to have a lot of success. And we're seeing it play out so far this year. Exactly. I, I, I'm not taking anything away from what the Big Ten has done. They've been more impressive than I envisioned, and they really have established themselves head and shoulders above the Big 12 for me when you look at just a depth through it like a lens that's more than just the top teams as I touched on but I do think this is a year that really shows why the Big Ten could be successful and why it's usually successful and it's because of experience typically so let's take a look at Bovada real quick and I'm giving you a hundred you have to wager on a Big Ten team to win it all who are you taking you have to take into account odds you have to take into account how good these teams really are. You've got, of course, the front runners like we lift, listed off, Iowa 9-1, to Illinois and Wisconsin 13-1. to You've got Michigan State at 22-1. to Where's Michigan on here? Michigan at 45-1, to Rutgers 55-1, to Ohio State 45-1. to And if you want to dig down even deeper, go for it. But where would you lay your money right now? Well, I can tell you where I wouldn't lay it. It's on Kentucky at forty to one. I'm looking at that right now. How, <laughs> yeah. how much would I have to pay you? To like, how lay can you tell me bet? that Kentucky has better odds than any of those Big Ten teams that I listed off? They've yeah, got better they, odds than Ohio State, Michigan, and Rutgers. And the in the case of Rutgers, it's a significant number. Yeah, and when you do this activity and sort of look at the ACC teams, you'd think they still have title contenders because Virginia's thirty to one. UNC's 40 to 1, Florida State's 35 to 1, Duke is 35 to 1. I'm sorry, but all four of those teams I just listed, they should not be even ahead of Ohio State at this point, or at least they shouldn't be that much ahead of a Rutgers or something like that. We talked about how Rutgers is kind of unlikely, but to answer your question, I would probably put it down on Wisconsin, I think. And that's weird for me to say. I don't think Wisconsin. So that's my conundrum with the Big Ten and going like all the way in is I still don't feel great about wagering on any of these teams. And maybe that's a little bit of the carnage and the upside right, down say, into the league. Let's say Gonzaga is, is I don't know, recruiting violations come out. They are ineligible right. for the tournament. Who would you lay it on? I don't even think it's a Gonzaga thing for me. I just, I have concerns about Iowa defensively that holds me back from really going all in on them. Illinois, kind of the same thing. Haven't totally bought into them because... They just haven't beaten a top 10 team yet or a top 15 team in some of those opportunities they had. I know they beat Duke on the road. That was a decent win. But, I mean, like Michigan State beat Duke on the road, and then they just get waxed in in the start of Big Ten Conference play. That Duke win is is slowly looking less and less like a good win, and Duke hasn't really played a ton lately in ACC I will say this. The margin of victory, I think, is what makes it impressive. Yeah. I just would have liked to have seen Illinois, and we talked about this a lot, like, hold their own against some of those teams that I think are on their level so far. Like, if if you're really a national title contender, I think they did hold their own for the first half against Baylor, but it just felt like that game was going to get out of hand on a neutral court and, and eventually did. I'm sure your money is probably still on Illinois. I, I just, I, I still have concerns about Illinois and Iowa defensively, and then Wisconsin, I don't know if they have enough punch to win it all. But I probably should stop. I should, probably should take some of that out of my head because all these teams have imperfections except for Gonzaga and a little bit of Baylor as well. Baylor doesn't have a ton either. Yeah, I'm still leaning with Illinois just because when they've got everyone going, I think they are the best team in the conference. But it's kind of hard for me to ignore Michigan at 45-1. to 1. I mean, 
They're yeah, one of those true. teams right now that's getting absolutely zero love. I mean, they're just barely getting back into the rankings, it feels like. They got pushed out because of a, a win that they had in overtime by 10 points against Oakland. And you can say what you want about Oakland, but Michigan, to me, is just one of those teams that kind of like Northwestern is just steady, been taking care of business. Now, Northwestern obviously has the much more impressive resume than Michigan right now, but to me, Michigan is one of those teams that is just taking care of business right now. Listen, they might trip up at the end of the year because I believe their schedule gets a lot tougher. We kind of laid out that they've been a little soft out of the gate, and, and part of that isn't even in their control. It's just the way the Big Ten schedule shaked out, but to me, Michigan is the team to watch. It would not surprise me if we start to see them take this huge absolute plunge towards the top of the the Big Ten, and I'm looking forward to that because this is a team that, again, brought in a lot of new pieces, a lot of new talented pieces, too. When you think about the transfer market, they went out and got Mike Smith from Columbia and Shondi Brown from Wake Forest, and then on top of that, you bring in a, a very talented recruiting class. I believe it was a top 15 class, and Hunter Dickinson is looking like the best freshman big man in the country right now when you put all those pieces together right now and you're giving them these time this all this time to kind of figure out what do our rotations like look like what what is this team and getting some of these guys experience playing together and building that chemistry I think by the end of the season in, in the Big Ten and by the time you get to the Big Ten tournament this is going to be a team that's really really scary yeah I actually I think that's where my money would go you sold me. Michigan is the best value on the board at 45 to 1. Now, the other thing is, all these Big Ten teams are probably going to keep losing because of the conference. And I don't feel like you, like Iowa's odds probably aren't going to go up. So it, there's not really a whole lot of point on betting on them right now, if that makes sense. And Gonzaga's probably only going to go the other way. So if you really are thinking about Gonzaga, now might be the time to do it it's tough because injuries and all that, there's still a lot sort of unknown, but that's true for all these teams. So I, here's the thing with Gonzaga is I check Bovada and I see, Oh, they're plus 700. All right. I'll just, I'll just let something happen. And then the next day you check in and they're like plus 500 and then they're plus 400 and now they're plus 300. And it's like, all right, well, should I, I get it. in on one of these <laughs> numbers before? Cause it's only going to drop from like 300 is the best price you're going to get on them the rest of yeah. the season right i would I imagine mean, the the schedule gets significantly easier the rest of the way and i don't know i mean where do you think it by the time that that the field of 68 is all set where do you think the number is going to be plus 170 i would say that Somewhere sounds right there. yeah so so listen and it is going to get to that number whether it's it's at the start of the tournament or before maybe they lose to BYU in WCC play. The number will be at a plus 170 or a plus 150 or something like that at some point this season. So if you grab plus 300 now, you may be stealing some value. Yeah, which is, I mean, think about that sentence. Just take a moment to process that. If you grab yeah, plus seriously. 300, it's it's bonkers. I Yeah, I still think Tennessee is is pretty good value as well at plus 2,400, so 24 to 1. Just because they're kind of like Michigan. They've sort of just checked their boxes quietly and gone about their business. Same thing with Houston. I would say the same about Houston. Right. Houston, top five team right now for the first time since uh, Hakeem was there, which is pretty amazing. Shout out to to Sam. Five slam a jamma, yep. Yeah, which 
I mean, that's that's impressive to even get into that conversation. You look at the top five right now, and it's Gonzaga, Baylor, uh, Kansas, Villanova, Houston. Kansas, Villanova makes sense, but to a casual college basketball fan, I think that's why someone might look at it and be like, oh, this is a COVID year, yada, yada, yada. It's not that. It's just this shows the parody in college basketball that can happen. Like we talked about, you can't get it in college football, which is what makes college basketball a little bit better in my eyes. All right. Anything else on the Big Ten, Gonzaga, before we get into some one and duns? Now, let's let's hit the one and duns. One and done. Oh my guys. Obviously, we have one in our conference. It has a doctorate degree in one and duns, right? <laughs> All right. So, I'll start this one off, and I think we have to begin the one and duns with the the battle in the state of Kentucky, Louisville versus Kentucky. Louisville ekes this one Was out. It a in battle? a rivalry. I, there might be <laughs> a rivalry adjective. that. Yeah. It, it's a rivalry that obviously has been very one-sided, and it felt like it was actually trending back that way. It looked like Kentucky might put up a little bit of a fight. This was actually a pretty good game, all jokes aside. Um, I don't know. I, I had ch- tough time. They're just two bad basketball teams. It was a close game. but It was a I, it was an entertaining game, yes. I, I don't know if the basketball, you're right, the, the quality of basketball wasn't great, but... So obviously Louisville goes out, they pick up the win, but can can we we need to start doing like a, a Cal fit check the the rest of the way because what yeah. was he wearing? I mean, he looked like he was about to go into the deep forests of Lexington and go chop some firewood for for Christmas morning. I mean, the the checkered plaid shirt, whatever the hell he was wearing, that was that was something. I mean, he has taken all signs of Kentucky off of his outfit right now. And that, to me, is the ultimate sign, especially this year when everyone's wearing quarter zips and polos. That is the ultimate sign, to me, of a coach giving up. And It's, it's not good. <laughs> it's I mean, like we've seen Coach K do this, right? In the presser, he, after they had suffered a, a couple of losses and, and were canceling their non-conference slate. So after that, they he, he did the, the presser and he had the USA Basketball uh, uh, quarter zip or polo. I, I'm not sure what he was wearing exactly, but it was the USA basketball insignia on his chest. And Cal, like, what is he going to put the Puerto Rican basketball logo on his chest? Like, to go back, remember those, uh, for those who are unaware of that, he, he went out and coached the Puerto Rican team just so he could get Carl uh, Anthony Towns. And it, I mean, it worked out for him, obviously. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just to me, it's like one of those things he's given up. And, and I mean, did you see the the video that Kentucky basketball put out too? This is more than a one and done. This is almost a story in and of itself, but he's teaching them how to walk again. Like Cal is at that oh, point. He's this, given yeah. up on this team and they are learning to walk again. It's like the kids, he's always says these kids and, and eventually the kids turn to men, but like, it feels like we're moving backwards. The, the kids have turned to children and the children have turned to toddlers. Like we're just turning back the clock. It's almost Benjamin Button-esque. I'm happy because Kentucky is now so bad that they're at a point where we're not leading the podcast with them. And I'm not saying that out of like spite or something. It's just Kentucky is the most household name in college basketball, probably. Maybe Duke, maybe UNC can make a case, but Kentucky has the largest beat in terms of how many writers cover the team. And right. we know there's there's a huge following to Kentucky. So it's going to be a story going forward. I'm not saying it's not a story still. But they're one in six now, and it was shocking when they I will were one say this. three, one and four. If they were playing that game in Maui, they would be two and five right now. That shot at the end of the the game, I think it was uh, it was Davion right. Mintz, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, 
if they're playing in Maui, that shot goes in. And Kentucky, we're talking about a two and five Kentucky team. And hey, maybe they've found their mojo again. The the one other thing about them learning how to walk, and he's got all of them holding hands together. If you're going to teach a team how to walk, you have to go with the classic team building exercise. Remember those skis with the ropes on them? And oh, right. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> holds like, oh, left. Everyone put the left one up with the ski, then the right one up. Like, that's how you teach a team to walk. And that would have been the ultimate sign of humiliation for this team. And maybe would have lit a fire under them. Who knows? I think next he's going to have them doing stress falls or something. What, <laughs> yeah. what, what follows walking together They're, in a line? It's going to be one of those team building exercises. Remember, you probably had to do this in gym class where you were given a hodgepodge of items that all fit within a hula hoop and you had to get your way like across the river or whatever it was. And yeah. they're going to go like Cal's going to pull out the hula hoops and and you're going to have the, the platoon system coming out and each <laughs> platoon's got to get across the river somehow with the, the items with that all fit inside a hula hoop. So I think that's what they're going to end up doing. I think that's what you need to do. Just team building exercises in practice. So the other team that was playing in this game, Louisville, I think I, it kind of like when UNC played Kentucky, I didn't really come away like, oh yeah, good win for Louisville. It was, I'm more concerned about Louisville and UNC after watching them totally barely agree. beat mm-hmm. this desperate Kentucky team. And it gets into my first one and done here, which I teased it earlier. Is the ACC bad? Like that is a legit question at this point. We talked about it. I don't know who the title contenders are, but just these typical teams that we're used to seeing at the top, Virginia. Duke, UNC, Louisville, they're all not very good this year. Like right now, I don't have a lot of faith in any of those teams. I think the best team in the ACC is Florida State. And then I'm kind of wondering who's going to grab that second spot at this point. Clemson has been decent, but that's what Clemson I was going to say. Doesn't have the pop. I mean, people like, aren't going to pick Clemson. They're just not. But they really might be the best team in the, or not the best team, the second best team in the ACC. Which but says no a lot, though, about how them. bad they are. The ACC, I think, and I'm, again, Clemson. It's not a huge knock on them. I think I'm higher on them than most other people, like you're saying. But Clemson's a football school, and Clemson should never really be the second best team in an ACC conference that has Duke, Syracuse, UNC, Louisville, and Florida, like Virginia. all these other teams. Yeah, Virginia, right? I mean, there's so many powerhouses in this conference, and they're all underwhelming at the moment. No, I think you're spot on with that. I. I, listen, if you're asking me to pick a, a team out of the ACC to win, I, I don't know who I'm picking. Because, like I said, you can't pick Clemson. But, like, in terms of a team that's more likely to win it all, I'm still probably taking Duke over a Clemson just because, okay, at yeah. some point coaching plays a factor, talent plays a factor. And Clemson, don't get me wrong, they play phenomenal defense. Second best defense in the country per Ken Palm, only behind Texas Tech. But it's just one of those things where, yeah, I I don't feel good picking any of the teams pretty much. And, I mean, you look at Bovada, the top team that I'm seeing on Bovada is Virginia at 30-1. to 1. So even the team that we say is the one to pick, if you had to pick one in Florida State, they're 35-1. to 1. They're not even the leader. They're, they're tied for second with, with Duke, who, as you and I have said, has been super underwhelming. You've got North Carolina at 40-1. to 1. I mean, to be honest... I'm I'm digging deeper down the board and I mean Clemson's at 60 to 1, Syracuse is at 100 to 1. I like them more than I like a Duke or a Carolina or a Virginia yeah. right now. 
Well, those odds, Duke and North Carolina, those odds aren't representative of how they played. They're representative of slightly how um, they played yeah, in, in the, their name. The logo on the chest, yeah. Right. UNC, they lose to NC State this past week. And, I mean, Caleb Love, let's just call it like it is, he is a train wreck right now. I, I really am disappointed. I'm a UNC fan, for those that don't know, that, that haven't been listening to the podcast for a while. And he's up there in terms of most frustrating players to watch that have come through the UNC program in a while. And I don't mean that in terms of, like, worse players. I just mean, given what the expectations were, given what he does on the court, he just makes these boneheaded freshman mistakes all the time. And his three-point shot was never supposed to be some, like, juggernaut or something or a secret weapon. But... I don't even want to go look at his three-point numbers. Maybe you should do a tie, because I'd have to close my eyes. I mean, it's, I think he's made like three threes all year, and he just jacks threes. Against NC State, he was trying to make some down the stretch. And it's really tough to watch him go, because UNC is only as good as their point guard. That's kind of how they've been. And they are getting nothing from him right now. He's been statistically one of the most inefficient players in the entire country. Four for 34 right now. Oh. For, for Caleb Love, 11%. I'm looking at, at the Ken Palm. You know how it breaks down the roster and it shows you the usage. So UNC's top five usage guys. And again, it, it, the, the statistic is going to be kind of misleading, but I think it is noteworthy in the fact that where basketball is. I'm going to read you the, the three-point percentages of the top five guys for UNC. You've got Caleb Love at 11%. Dayron Sharp at 0%, Garrison Brooks 0%, Armando Baycott 0%, Walker Kessler 0%. Now, those other four guys have shot a combined five three-pointers, but isn't that part of the larger problem? When you've got yeah. all those guys that are getting this significant amount of usage from your team and they're not shooting threes, and that's the way that basketball is won today. So I think that's part of the problem right there is that you don't have a lot of guys who can shoot threes. I'm ready to ask you the question, is Caleb Love – your, your guard version of Nas Little yet. Yeah. No, I think he's worse than him. Like, uh, he's I, I, been I was going to say, I do think he's actually worse. <laughs> like, Dexter Strickland level of annoyance for, for UNC fans that remember him. JP Tokido was kind of that way where, again, it's not like they were bad players. You can see the talent there. You can see the raw athleticism. It's just, it makes it even more excruciating because... They're never consistent. Like, J.P. Tokido would do this thing where he'd come down the floor and make this tomahawk dunk, and it'd be, like, the coolest thing he did all year from anyone on the UNC roster. He was awesome for three minutes, and then he'd go step on the end line or throw the ball, like, off a teammate's head or something that wasn't looking. Yeah, or three rows deep, yeah. Yeah, it, it was never consistent, and that made it even more excruciating to root and watch for him, so... Dexter Strickland, J.P. Tokuto, Caleb Love, they're in a tier of their own now for me in terms of just watching the players and getting annoyed with them. And I wish that wasn't the case. I mean, I really was high on Caleb Love going into the year, and it's got to be a little bit of the freshman coming into a tough situation. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that. But his shooting has just been awful. And R.J. Davis has been much better than him, but still not good enough. This, this UNC team has a lot of problems because – to me, they're like Iowa in the sense that they can't defend at all, but they also can't shoot. Like, Iowa gets bailed out because they have shooters galore. As you just laid out, UNC is one of the worst shooting teams that is considered a top 40, top 50 team in the country. Yeah, right now, ranking 309th in the country in three-point percentage. So, tough sledding down in Chapel Hill. I've got two more here for you. 
Did you see this tweet that went out that the Wisconsin basketball starting five is the collective average age is older than the Chicago Bulls starting five? Really? Wow. So <laughs> that's pretty good. Shout, shout out the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. all we got to say there. Yeah, Bulls aren't looking great, are like, or what are they? Zero no. three. I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, zero and three with it. with bad losses. So yeah, we'll leave it at that. Do you yeah. got anything else? Um, let's see. I wanted to shout out to Paul. They play two games. Just give them claps because we've been joking about that. Uh, I don't even double know overtime against do. Providence. That was a good oh game. really? Okay. Yeah. yeah good. Oh, that and was then right. They beat that Western was Illinois. One of those holiday days where it was like the only game of any sort of right. note yeah. on your TV. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Paul Providence. My last one that I've got here. Shout out to Scotty Pippen Jr. Have you yeah, seen the call. numbers he's been putting up? He's got 24-plus in five of his six games this year. And I don't know what the if Bavada's going to go out and put SEC um, title odds. But, Vandy, if, if they've got a guy like Scottie Pippen Jr. who can play at this level, again, he started, I think, 31 of 32 games for them last year. So he's, he's a significant player coming back. He's only a sophomore. And... I was looking at his offer sheet on 24-7 sports. It was a bunch of no. It was like Colorado State and like a bunch of those weird West Coast schools. And then Vandy was really the only power five that I saw giving him an offer. And you'd think that a guy like Scottie Pippen Jr., who's got the the genes, the, the father cachet, you'd expect him to get a little bit better of an offer sheet. I know he's ranked. He was ranked outside the top 200, but yeah. it, there's obviously something in the blood there that you cannot ignore if you're a college coach so shout out to scotty pippen jr 24 plus in five of his six games yeah i don't think i'm ready to put vandy in in i'm not going to wager on their title odds but yeah i i totally but agree SEC, maybe hmm, you never know eh. you never know tennessee man I'm, I'm all on the tennessee bandwagon at this point that's fine all right you got anything else before we hit out of here no um one last thing before we go College kids playing on Christmas just rubbed me the wrong way. I, I don't want to really Dumb. see that much yeah. again. I thought yeah. that was awful. The, the one thing the Big Ten's done wrong this year. Yeah, I would agree with that. Big Ten's yeah. been fun every single night. I just, I didn't really have much of an urge to watch it anyway. I don't know why they're even trying to compete against the NBA on a, on a day like that. That's always been the NBA. And on top day. of that, the NFL too. Yeah, it just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Kids in a pandemic should be with their families on Christmas, especially if you're not getting paid to play the sport. Exactly. All right, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back later on in the week. We'll get you the weekend winners and warriors, and we'll also recap all of the great games going on because the Big Ten's got a heck of a slate this week. So we will do all of that on probably Thursday because the the new year on Friday. So we're going to take off for that holiday. We'll get it to you a day early. For Tim, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you guys later in the week. The game was over. 